we're in a new series, and it's called The Grudge. And the reason that we're in this series is because bitterness can poison your life. Bitterness can destroy your relationships. It can embitter your soul. Bitterness can make it impossible for you to connect with people on a deep level. It can affect your uh, work environment, how you relate to others, even how you see the world. Bitterness affects everything. And so we're inviting you to come into this series because if you don't address these issues of bitterness that are in our hearts, you will corrupt every part of your life. Last week, we talked about what forgiveness is in the context of bitterness, that we need to move towards forgiveness. And we defined what forgiveness was. Do you remember what we said? We said forgiveness is canceling a debt. We said that forgiveness was like when, when someone offends us, rather, it's like we open a ledger book. You know what a ledger book is? It's where accountants keep good records of what is owed. And so we write down Sally and then the day that she did it and the time that she did it and for how long she did it and the offense that she did. And we put it there and we let that grow and grow in our hearts. And that when we move towards forgiveness and not embracing bitterness, what we move towards is canceling Sally's debt. So if with, with my dad, with my father, I had to forgive him leaving our family. I had to forgive. What, what did he owe me? What was on the ledger? Well, he, he owed me like wisdom at 12 years old. When I was making choices to go away from what God would have for my life, I didn't have a father there to guide, direct, rebuke, correct. I just didn't have that. He owed me that. So I had to, here's the thing. My father can't give me 12 years old back. Does that make sense? He can't give me 12 years old. Just like your first spouse can't give you happily ever after back. So here's a thought God says. And remember, right now we're just reviewing what we talked about last week. Here's a thought. God says, if in fact they can't pay you back what they owe you on the ledger book, here's an idea. Cancel the debt. Since they can't give you 12 years old back, since they can't give you happily ever after, since they can't give you their best friend back, that best friend back, since they can't give you those things, cancel what they owe you. And you go, oh my gosh, how do we do that? Today is what we're going to give ourselves to doing that. Today is what, that's what we're going to focus on, how to forgive. You know, uh, one of my favorite writers is Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy. 
and he was married to this woman. Her name was Sonia. Tolstoy, when he was going to marry her, wanted there to be nothing between them. He had good intentions, but he wasn't very wise. He gave her his diaries and his journals, and he told her to read them so that there would be nothing between them. He wanted a clean slate. Not a bad idea if you have a counselor there to help her process everything that she's going to be reading. It's good to have nothing between you. That's good. And his ideas were good, his execution not so much. She read the book and she found out how one of the women that worked for Tolstoy had an affair with him. Now they were no longer together, but she read about that and she never forgot that. I want to read you a passage in her journal that illustrates what bitterness can do in your heart and how it could cloud how you even see all of life. This was a passage in Sonia's journal, in her diary. He relishes that peasant wench with her strong female body and her sunburnt legs. She allures him just as powerfully now as she did those years ago. Here's the problem with that quote. She wrote that 50 years later. The lady she was writing about was over 80 years old. We laugh, but that's the power of bitterness. And if you laugh at Sonia, let's take a look at your diary. Who have you not forgiven? Who continues to beat you and abuse you and harm you and hurt you decades after they died? Decades after you know their last address. Decades after they've been in your life. You see, here's what you and I know. That when we see bitterness in the life of others, we chuckle, we laugh. How could they be so insane? And yet bitterness, it has a grip, it has a hold, it has a stranglehold on our lives. You go, well, I'm glad I'm here for these people because I don't have any bitterness in my life. I've forgiven and forgotten. And yet, if we bring those same people who have harmed you in your life, an unsteady, unnerving thing happens. You go, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. I've already forgiven them. I don't want to bring up the past. Beloved, perhaps you don't want to bring up the past because you have not forgiven those in your past. Perhaps because you are carrying around a bitterness that you have not let go. I want you to be open to that idea. Many of us don't even know all the unforgiveness in our hearts. God knows that if we hold on to this bitterness, it'll cloud even the way we view an 82-year-old. 
God knows that. And he wants you to be free. And so, over and over and over and over again, God reminds us, forgiveness is the way. Forgiveness is how you and I are entered into the kingdom. And forgiveness is the way we're to remain in the kingdom. Which brings us to Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 10. Now, in our church, we have a tradition where we stand at the reading of God's word. The reason that we stand is because we're reminded that my emotions don't have the authority in my life. The scriptures do. And so I encourage you to stand if you're able and read here what the Lord would have us know. Luke 17, starting with verse 3. So watch yourselves. Pause. Let that sink in. That when you are hurt, you are the most dangerous person in the room. Not, not watch for them. Watch yourself. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can, see, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This ends the reading of God's word. I tell you, I read this over and over again, and I was like, okay, exactly what does this last parable have to do? Did you get that sense? It's like, what does servants eating at the table with uh, the master have to do? It has everything to do with this issue of forgiveness. So we're going to work today on asking God to free us from the grudges that hold us to be freed by the forgiveness that God gives and then God distributes through us. Gives to us and then distributes through us. So I want you to be thinking about the grudges that you might be holding on to your life, in your life. It could be your spouse, it could be your ex-spouse. It could be your children, it could be your parents. It could be an institution or it could be like whatever bitterness is 
floating up in your life, I want you to think about that because I'm not talking to you in the abstract. This message is not for the person you wish was here to listen to this. This message is for the person sitting in your seat. So let's wrestle with what it means to be free of grudges. According to the text, and we're going to spend almost all of our time in verse 3. If we're going to be free from grudges, we're going to have to, or I must, number one, watch out for my response. Would you write that down? By the way, in your bulletin, you have uh, what we call a sermon map. If you've received the bulletin, inside the sermon map, it's a place where you can fill in uh, blanks. The reason we have that there is because we realize that you won't remember everything that's said. In fact, we say that the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. And so if you need something to write with, would you just raise your hand? Would you raise your hand nice and high if you need something to write with? And we'll have someone bring it over to you. But the first thing is watch out for my response. Verse 3, do you see that? We, we, we just paused on it for a second. This is why I love the scriptures and this is why I believe the scriptures are true. If I was writing the Bible and I was talking about what our response should be after we're hurt, I would not, my opening nine would not be, so watch out for yourselves. It would be, look out for them, those dirty rotten. In fact, you know when I'm most dangerous in my marriage? I'm most dangerous in my marriage when I feel most hurt. That's when I'm, it's like, look out, Edwin, look out. Not look out to avoid my wife from hurting me further. Look out for your response. You are a dangerous man. You are unsafe. Watch out for yourselves. The scriptures are speaking deeply into our hearts and deeply into how human nature works. When you and I are hurt by others, we need to look out for our own responses. At the very, this is within the context of what Jesus is writing within the chapter, uh, uh, Luke chapter 17. In Luke chapter 17, he starts off in verses 1 and 2 by saying, watch out for stumbling points. In other words, when you walk in Christ, there are places where you might stumble or fall. He says like this, he goes, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. You see, this is a stumbling point. When you and I are harmed, we have the most potential for damage, for harm. I'll show them. I'll tell them. I'll, I'll give to them what they gave to me. And they deserve it. And I'll do better than that. I'll not only give to them what they gave to me, but I believe in interest. I'm going to give them a little bit more than what they gave to me. We are dangerous people when we've been hurt. They tell you all the time, the most dangerous animal 
is an animal that is trapped in a corner. An animal that feels like there's no other way out. Beloved, when you and I are hurt, we are like dangerous animals. And we need to watch out. And if you examine your heart right now, you'll examine why it all spiraled down so quickly or why your own heart still is hurt. Watch out. I remember as I was, uh, I think we only had my son and my first, my first son and my first daughter. And we had just started the church. And, and so we, we started this beautiful thing. And the Lord led me to invite homeless people to live in our uh, apartment. We still do that here. We have homeless people um, who are looking to, uh, to Christ and to walk away from using. We, we have them here and we get them help if they need to go to a detox or all that other stuff. But it started in my house. And my wife would sleep in the bed, in our bed, with our kids, and I would sleep on the floor with the, with the homeless guys. And our landlord, I don't know, you know, because we were having people come over to the house and they were wanting to know about the Bible. And we were reading and studying the Bible together. I don't know what she thought. Did she think I was a drug dealer? Did, I mean, that, that doesn't, that, that, that's not impossible to believe, right? You got homeless people coming out of your house at 4.30 in the morning and whatever. And, you know, because that's when we would, no, it's not quite 4.30. We would wake up at 4.30 to pray and all that other stuff. And then we would leave and then they would come in at night. So what could she think? Well, she said she wanted us to leave. And I said, no problem. We'll leave. No, no, no. I want you to leave now. I was like, I can't leave now. I was like, you know, let me tell you what we're doing. We're having Bible studies. and we're, I don't care what you're having. So she didn't believe me. That's fine. But and then she started to threaten. And then she raised the rent $100 every month. And then there was this, like, it was just, it kept on going. And literally one time I had to grab her wrists because she was going to assault me. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to do her harm. I don't want to just do her harm. I want to do her husband harm. Because he should have his chick under control. <laughs> no, this is the way I was thinking. I know none of y'all think like this. And it wasn't chick. It was terrible. It was terrible. And I started to fantasize about all the things that I would do to her. Because this is not just me we're talking about here. I got two little ones. She's harming my entire family. I don't know about you, but there's something that stirs up in me. And the Lord, the Lord had to start working in my bitterness and my anger and my desire for revenge. You know what it was? Watch out for yourself. It is at this point, Edwin, where you are most dangerous, when you're, being, when you're feeling most victimized. I wonder, I bet, I bet I'm the only one in this room who's like that. I bet I'm the only one here 
when I struggle with bitterness and when I struggle with harm that others have done to me, that I become a plotter, not a prayer. I become a person who's thoughtful about revenge rather than surrendered in forgiveness. I bet I'm the only one. Christ says for people like me, he says, so married couples, listen to me. Watch yourself. Secondly, if we're going to be free of grudges, we're going to need to practice forgiveness. So you go, well, exactly how do I practice forgiveness? Everything we're going to see comes right out of verse 3. I want you to check it out in verse 3. This is very powerful. So in verse 3, it says, firstly, it says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, stop. The first thing I want you to remember is that Paul is speaking in the context of the family of God. So here's what I know. First and foremost, this message is for Christians. If you're in this church, I promise you, you're going to get hurt. You're especially going to get hurt if you're in a vulnerable place and you're looking for a relationship with people who are not emotionally qualified to be in one. And so you'll see a a musician or a leader or a person up here giving out and you'll be like, oh, they must be really godly. They must really love Jesus. I get the benefit of seeing how the sausage is made. You understand what I'm saying? So I see the behind the curtains. And I know not everybody who dresses nice is, uh, loves Jesus. I know some people are out for blood. I know some people are out for their own. I get that. So I'm not surprised by that no more. So when you curse me out, when you, when you do all that stuff, I go, oh, my brother, my sister. We're like each other, aren't we? That brings us to our first point. First thing we need to do when we are harmed by someone is we need to identify with the sinner. They are not the worst person in the relationship. Almost every week, I tell you, I'm the worst person in this room. And believe me, I got mega evidence for that fact. Lots and lots of evidence. I'm the worst person in this room. Listen. When I'm in conflict with someone, the problem for me is that I tend to caricaturize them for what they did to me. So here's how it works in my life. And if it doesn't work in your life, it's cool, but just this is how it works in my life. When I lie, wait, and you catch me in a lie, wait. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you why it was important for me to lie. Let me tell you the extenuating circumstances of my life. Let me tell you why my lie was very pivotal to say in that moment, I would have hurt so much more people if I would have, I'm not a liar, I just lied in that moment for the sake of everyone else. Do you understand my lie? Good, because I lie, not because I'm a liar, because I'm holy. I have excuses for my lie. When others lie, 
Have you ever been down by um, 42nd? This is, they used to do this. I don't know if they do this anymore. Remember by 42nd Street when they used to have the people who would draw your paint, your picture with the, they still, they still do that, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what they do, generally speaking, what they do is they make a caricature of you. You know what a caricature is? A caricature is, is like if you got a nose like mine, they make it real, real wide, right? If you got big ears like mine, they make them real, real big. What you do is you take one aspect of that person's uh, qualities and you inflate them. It's called a caricature. It's not true to life. It's a caricature. That's what I do when I don't identify with the sinner. I go, oh, that person, they're a liar. Me? Y'all understand. You heard my story. But that person, that person's a liar. Must have been how you were raised. <laughs> Beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. We need to, in Christ, identify with them the way Christ identified with us. Christ didn't need to be baptized. What was, he, what was, what was his sin? Christ didn't need to go on the cross. What was his sin? What did he do? He identified with sinners so that sinners like us could identify with him. He gives, he gives us his righteousness, identifying with our sin so that we who are sinners could have his righteousness. When I see someone else, all I'm seeing is an illustration of my own dark heart towards God. I identify with them. They're my brother. They're my sister. I identify with them. So when this person comes up to me and they harm, they've lied, they've harmed me in another way, I go, oh my gosh, Jesus, is this how you feel? Wait, wait, hold on one second. Before I caricaturize you, before I see you as only the evil thing that you've done to me, I go, Jesus, they've hurt me. Is this how you feel when I lie to you? When I tell you I'll never and I'll always and just watch? And I don't do nothing I just said. Is this the pain, the pain that I'm feeling about their lie towards me, their betrayal towards me? Do you feel that when I betray? This is the hurt you feel? I'm so sorry. What was I thinking? I, I've always thought that it's just like, yeah, you'll forgive, you'll forgive. It's no big deal. But if this is how bad it hurts you and it hurts you 10 times worse because you're holy, perfect and pure and I'm just another sinner like them. If, if this is how, Lord, forgive me. See, their sin brings me to repentance because I identify with them. Does this make sense? We're talking about the, how do we forgive? This is the practice of forgiveness. We identify with others. So that when, when I see pastors who steal money or sleep around or uh, what else? Or power up. Those are the three major things that pastors generally fall at. I go, oh my gosh. Lord, that's me. That's, I'm, I am capable of doing anything. I know because I got a history that I can remember. When I see another person who lies about me, I go, oh my gosh. I've lied about others who destroys my reputation. I've destroyed the reputation of others. 
You see, it's an opportunity for repentance. And then what happens is as you identify with them, they're no longer the worst person in the room. They're no longer, you're no longer the holy, character-filled, righteous one. And they're the terrible, right, caricature, you know, caricature. You know, the big ears, the big nose, the... No, they're, they're just like you. Identify with them. That's the first thing if we're going to practice forgiveness. The second is to rebuke in love. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry the time has passed. Um, the second thing is that we rebuke in love. Do you see that in verse 3? Even if they sin against you seven times, I'm sorry, um, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Now here's the thing. The word rebuke here, and I know some of you are like, finally, I get to tell them what I think. I know, I know, I know, I know. I feel that way too. That's not this type of rebuke. This type of rebuke is make aware of. Make aware of. This type of rebuke is persuade. So it looks like this. It's, I'm not going to sweep this under the rug. I'm not going to go, well, that's just Pastor Edwin. You know, he's always and then make an excuse for my sin against you. You're not going to do that. You know what you're going to do? You're going to come and you're going to go, Pastor Edwin, when you said that joke, I know you were just trying to be funny, but I can't tell you how it hurt me. When you said that joke about singleness, or you said that joke about uh, marriage, or you said that joke about this or that, or, you know, you kicked up some stuff inside of me, and I just need you to know. That's a beautiful, beautiful rebuke. And that, because we're not called to sweep it under the rug. We're not called to ignore it. If we're in the new family of Jesus, there can be no longer a situation where uncle so-and-so goes into the room with his little niece and then comes out and nobody talks about it for the next 50 years. Act like the, the Thanksgiving dinner, like nothing ever happened. But it doesn't have to be that extreme, does it? It just be, I walked past you and you felt slighted. I hugged everybody else, but I didn't hug you. It doesn't matter. Like, there, it's something. But we need to love each other. We need to go, oh, I've, I've sometimes ignored important people in my lives and, and walked past them. I, oh, I'm just like Pastor Edwin. And, and by the way, Pastor Edwin, here's this love. Man, I'm sensitive about stuff like that. I've never been loved. I've never. Do you see how beautiful that is? As opposed to, we're walking in the gospel. Thirdly, and this is the big one, we cancel the debt. Now, when you cancel the debt, I encourage you, the bigger the offense, the more dramatic the cancellation. Do you understand what I'm saying? The bigger the offense, the more creative you have to be when you can't. You just go, oh, I cancel the debt. Okay, that's it. No, 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 no. So my father, um, I, I, the Lord was dealing with this with me on a vacation that God gave me and my wife. It was an incredible thing. Like, it was unbelievable. We got to go on a cruise for free. It was unbelievable. And this was back when we had less than no money. Like, it was, we were, I mean, we were, we were poor. We couldn't even afford the R. Like, we were real broke. And God gave us this incredible vacation. Well, here's the thing. I'm finally on this cruise and the Lord starts bringing up, because it's probably the first time I started to stop and be silent. There was no internet. There was no phone. There was, I was like in the middle of the ocean. 
There was no Wi-Fi. There was no nothing. There was my wife and I in this beautiful ocean, and it was like two days till we got to the next place. And the Lord started to deal with my bitter heart. And so here's what I did. Remember what I said? The bigger the offense, the more creative. So I just started to write, you owe me. I started to talk about what, my, what I experienced with my father. And I, I wrote down three other names that I'm not going to go into right now, but you get what I'm saying. Big offenses. Life-changing hurts. There were four big ones. So I'm writing it down on this piece of paper. I, said, I don't know how I got it. I think I got like, uh, you know how like they give you paper? I don't know if you know. But they give you papers of like what's going to happen next on the cruise. And so the, the back of it had blanks. So I just used that because I didn't have a notebook or anything like that. So I'm just like writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. And all the hurt that I experienced, man, never having anybody tell me about the birds and the bees, never having anybody protect me from my own stupid thinking, always having to experience life for the first time myself rather than having the experience of a grown man to tell me where the pitfalls are. I just, I just started to write. I just started to, for leaving my mother and leaving her with us and she was, she had a mental deficiency and ah, paranoid schizophrenic. He goes, I had to leave, but you left her with us, coward. You know, I just started to, I started to write everything. You know, oh, this is so bad. And then when I was done writing and it's this, you know, I'm, I'm telling you something that, you know, it took a while. It, it still takes a while. I wrote debt canceled in big letters. You don't owe me. And the Lord in that moment gave me a verse about how he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Now, here's the thing. When God says he throws your sin into the sea of forgetfulness, let me ask you this. Do you think that when you come up to God and you go like, you know, we're in heaven and we go, God, um, uh, remember that thing that I did on Tuesday, that summer night at three in the morning? And God goes, Psh, I don't remember. That's not what he's saying. What it's saying when God says he'll throw your sin, God knows all things. What he's saying when he throws your sins into the sea of forgetfulness is that he'll never bring it up again. I'll throw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. So God led me to go to the back of this ship and it was nighttime. I don't know if you've ever been out to sea at night, but that's real night. That's like super dark. Like that's like can't see the hand in front of your face dark. It's like, it's like closing your eyes. And so I was in the back of the boat and God was just telling me, hey, I want you to cancel the debt. So, so this is not fair. This is not fair. He owes me. Look at all he did, man. He's going to think that this stuff is okay. How are you going to lead me to do this, man? How is he ever going to change? How is he ever going to fight? Like, this is not right. And I was just fighting there with God. And God was doing what he usually does, does with me when I fight. He just like stands there and like be quiet and just like waits for me to have my tan temper tantrum. But he's like present and loving. And so it was like a long time, too long to say. And, and then I just let it go. And it hung in the air. And I saw that thing disappear. I said, you don't know me no more. If there's a debt here, it's not for me. And I saw that thing disappear. The bigger the debt, the more creative. And now 
it still comes back. Does it still come back for you, the things that you've forgiven? It still comes back to me. And I get angry, especially when I'm hurt again, because I'm trying to reestablish the relationship and sometimes he hurts me again. I remember that moment. Oh, you don't owe me anymore. I remember the cross. Oh, I've been forgiven. So it overflows. I identify with the sinner. I rebuke in love. I cancel the debt. We gotta go. So how do I do that? How do I get the power to do that? How do I get the power? So right, like if I just stopped right here, I was like, all right, do your best. Go ahead. Like, yeah, go on a cruise. You can do it. What am I going to tell you? Right? Because you can't do none of this, right? Isn't that, isn't that right? You can't do none of this. I can't do none of this. Here's two things I need you to remember. Number one, I am a recipient of grace. That I've been forgiven. And that forgiveness overflows more than it's distributed. Forgiveness overflows more than you just give it away. So I got to sit, how has what my father, have I ever abandoned my responsibilities? Have I, especially with Jesus? Boy, is that true. I could tell you stories. I'd go through what we just went through, identify, rebuke, and cancel. I remember the grace that has been bestowed upon me. I think about how much I have been forgiven. And then in verse 10, I just, I'm blown away by this. I'm an un... The second point of remembering who I am in Christ is I'm an unworthy servant. That's how the parable works. When you and I do the hard work of forgiveness, it's not like we're doing extra points on the Christian, uh, on the Christian obstacle course and therefore God owes us bonus points. No, I'm an unworthy son. I'm only doing, it goes back to what we learned last week, right? We were forgiven billions and billions and billions of dollars. And we're asked to give hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's no comparison. We have been forgiven much so we can forgive what others have harmed us. In the moment. Now, sometimes this takes days and sometimes this takes weeks and sometimes this takes months and sometimes this takes years. I'm not trying to put a burden on you that you can't bear. But what I am saying is that our standing in the gospel is what liberates us to liberate others from our grudges.